in the church uh, service, and then those are, are kept. Oftentimes in the Catholic Church, those are then burned and kept to be used the next Ash Wednesday to apply the ashes to the head when you go in for the blessing before Lent. And so uh, there's that wonderful connection from one year to the other, one season to the other with these, with these plants. And I love that you started with that. That's very appropriate. I looked up if I got it right. I'm sure, but uh, uh, it it, uh, uh, seemed to prove it. And I'll bet one of the reasons they put the palm fronds down was to cut down on the dust and everything. And as you said, make it a a more comfortable ride, be it on a donkey. But but that's that's Mm -hmm. a part of the symbolism of of the of the religious holiday and so on. And a lot of things that you'll be talking about tonight will be Christian. Uh, and might be Jewish, uh, I think. You tell me if I'm going wrong here. And, of course, when we've got Christians, we've got a couple of different kinds of Christians, and that is the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Catholic. And many times their Easter's are not on the same day, and I did not check to see if they are this year. But uh, sometimes I they... do not know if those two coincide this year, but we are overlapping with uh, Passover which is wonderful because that started just last week, uh, again over the weekend. Well, and indeed, Passover, that's the reason Jesus and a lot of his fellow Jews were in Jerusalem, is it not, that, that it was Passover? Exactly, and it was for this evening. This is what's so, so lovely, the way that our show kind of overlapped, is this is what's referred to in the liturgy as Monday Thursday. Now, Monday Thursday is um, that that date when um, Jesus was with his disciples, and um, this is when they had the Last Supper, which is mentioned in Matthew, in tw- Matthew 26, and this Last Supper where he, you know, was talking to them about how glad he was that they were all together, and they broke the bread, and they had the wine, and this is the first time that we had the, um, the reference to this is my body, this is my blood. And so this is something that we think about that that supper in the upper room, that last gathering of everybody together before he later this evening was betrayed and arrested and tried by the church uh, on Thursday night. So it was a it was a very important night. And we usually think about Good Friday, but Good Friday is the next Day, and that's the day that he was tried by the Sanhedrin and then by Pilate and Herod and crucified, died, and was buried. So um, that's the reason that is Good Friday, is that's when, when uh, that happened. So, of course, when we talk about Passover, we talk about the Last Supper. It's, it's a good time to remember what Passover is and all the foods and the plants that are associated with that. Uh, part of the holiday, and um, I didn't know how much you wanted me to go into this tonight, but um, I'm happy to, to talk about all this with well, you. Well, I'll tell you what, let's do use what I'm, I'm intended for you to go as far as, uh, we have, I think, time enough uh, to do that, but let us take a break and use what you just did as a tease, and then we'll come back and you can go into the, the Passover and some of the, the, the very symbolic gestures uh, that are that are associated with uh, with Passover and uh, 
we'll get as much of the whole story as we can. How about that? Wonderful. Wonderful. Pam, Pam Beck is her name. She knows all about plants. She knows about how to get them to come up today. Uh, she has a green thumb, but she also knows a lot about the history of them and significant holidays in, in the human season. And we're talking tonight, of course, about Easter, which is Sunday. Tomorrow will be, I think it's called Good Friday. And uh, she said tonight is Monday, Thursday. So we're, the, lesson, the lesson goes on. And we'll be back with more of that right after we take this break. Thursday night, it is April 1st. And there's nothing about April Fool's concerning us. We're the real thing tonight. And we're talking about... Uh, the plants and flowers that surround and are part of uh, the Easter season. And, by the way, the Easter season, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't end on Sunday. That's uh, that's one of the high points, but a lot goes on after that. And maybe Pam will, she knows a lot of the history, uh, additionally, in, in addition to the plants. So maybe she'll talk about that a little bit because that's, uh, in the end, the really one of the really important parts, the important part of the, of the, the Christian Story, the Christ story. But when we left, we were about to talk about, uh, I, I think I said this right, that uh, the, the reason that Jesus and his fellow Jews were in Jerusalem was to celebrate Passover. And, and Pam was going to talk a little bit about the ceremonies that are involved in the Jewish celebration. Right, Pam? That's correct. And um, what's so wonderful about this is that the Passover meal or the Seder meal is uh, a celebration of the um, Israelites' uh, freedom from slavery in Egypt. And so this story is remembered through a series of, of eight different, um, you know, days of Passover. It's very much a family uh, event, and the Seder meal is a, is a very important part of it because that's when the story is recalled and so the, the children hear this story year after year, and they participate in the meal. There's, there's different events for kids to do so that it's not just a quick meal and they run away and get on their cell phones. This is a very lengthy, drawn-out uh, process, but it's talking about history and ancestors and faith. And what's um, the center part of the symbolic part of this meal that comes first with the Seder meal is the Passover plate, and the Passover plate has different items on it, and if you've ever seen one of these, it's, they're really, they can be very lovely. I've got one, um, and I think most families who celebrate Seder meals uh, have a Passover plate, and um, this is simply placed on a cloth, and they, um, there is a roasted egg which symbolizes renewal and rebirth and life's eternal circle. And that's one of those symbols that you see throughout many cultures as a symbol for spring. And what do we do on Sunday? We go and hunt Easter eggs. Isn't that a lovely connection there? Um, is, is that that egg, again, is being honored. There's a lamb shank on there, and that is to remind the, um, the Jewish family of using the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over the house and um, not take the firstborn child of their home. So this is, um, a, was a 
marjoram, which is a common herb to us, uh, is what was used, was suggested to be used to be dipped into the blood of the sacrificed lamb and used to apply that. And the word that we read in King James will say hyssop, but the actual translation biblical scholars believe it is marjoram. This is something that would have been a very common weed and readily available. Families used it for, for herbs, for cooking, but it was something that they could have very quickly gotten as well. Other things that are used um, in this meal that are, that are plants, one is carpus, which can be celery tops or parsley or even, um, even something like an onion top that is dipped into salt water, and that's to represent the tears of slavery. There's another portion of greens. Uh, that's usually endive or lettuce or something like that, and that's the bitter herbs. Um, that symbolizes spring, but it also symbolizes the, the bitterness, too. There will be grated horseradish. That definitely is, is bitter and strong and can bring about tears to remind them of how hard life had been before their freedom. And finally, there's a, um, a mixture of apples and nuts and wine that is put together, and it, it's a sweet addition to eat on, say, the, um, the matzah, the bread, the unleavened bread. Um, that is a, a symbolizes the mortar that may have been used by the Israelites who were mixing um, mortar together to build these huge Egyptian monuments when they were enslaved. They, uh, many of them were, were um, slaves doing that building process, and so that's the reason for that thing. But there's all these plants that are all woven in this, and it's a, it's a wonderful symbolic um, uh, evening, and I I'm, hope that I, I explained it so that you could understand it and follow how, how this is used. Well, if it means anything, I think I halfway understand it, and usually that's a pretty good sign. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. I did want to mention um, going forward that the the betrayal of Jesus took place in a garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, this is a, a place that, according to Scripture, he was acquainted with. He had gone there often, and he went there to pray. And I think that that's beautiful, especially for those of us who are gardeners. We oftentimes feel that being in a garden is a refuge, and it has really been so for for me personally during COVID and all this isolation. You know, the garden is a good place to go to for renewal, and I think that um, that may have been part of the reason that Jesus and his disciples went there. Um, going forward to the next day when Jesus was being tried, um, there were a lot of plants that are mentioned that we're not really sure. Biblical scholars are confused about, for instance, what exactly was the crown of thorns? What was that plant that was um, often depicted as being a plated uh, vine type thing with really nasty thorns on it that was placed on Jesus' head? It could have been so many things. There are so many thorny plants in uh, the Holy Land that it would be hard, they'd be hard-pressed to try to choose one over the other because it does not specifically say. Jesus was 
scourged, which means he was beaten with rods of some sort. And there's, there's a lot of uncertainty as to what that particular plant was. But again, it could have been a number of things that were close by. But then we get to something that really a lot of people have wondered about, and it is the wood of the cross. And this is something that, again, there's no one particular plant that has been mentioned as the wood of the cross. Now, there are wonderful um, symbolic uh, suggestions, I should say, <laughs> for lack of a better word, from the church as to what it could have been. Uh, some believe it's, it's one, one tree or another, and um, just like the question as to whether Judas hung himself on a, on a tree uh, or whether he fell in a field and um, died that way, there's, there's a question about that, too. But there is a tree in the old world that's called the Judas tree, and it is related to our, our native redbud, which is, makes it so interesting. Um, a lot of Southerners truly, truly believe that the um, tree that became the wood of the cross was uh, our native dogwood tree. Well, it couldn't have been because our native dogwood tree didn't grow in the Holy Land. Um, they do have um, trees that are similar, but nothing like our, our beautiful Cornish, Florida. By the way, I do want to mention that this is going to be really hard for a lot of us, but the scientific name of um, our dogwood tree has changed. All dogwoods now are no longer Cornish. They are uh, benthamidia, and uh, <laughs> and that's going to be a mouthful. And a lot of people are not going to want to are not going to want to call them that. But um, when we talk about a Cornish Florida or a Cornish Tusa, we usually understand that means dogwood because that's the scientific name. But now it's benthamidia, so I I don't know. I'm I'm not going to be happy about using that. Um, but Going, going forward even again after the, after the crucifixion, Jesus' body was wrapped in linens, and that's made with flax. So that's a, another uh, plant that we can grow and oftentimes see grown. And um, then the body had an application Pam, of... Pam, yeah, can I'm we sorry. stop here, right here? This, yes. This one may be a good place for another... Stoppage, and we'll have something to look forward to hearing after we do a check of the news. Okay. Pam Beck is our guest tonight. We're talking about flowers and uh, plants of the Easter season, and we'll be back with more of that after we check the news. Nine thirty-three, almost nine thirty-four at WPCF again, AM six eighty. Keep your your uh, one of your buttons on the AM side of your car radio on that and one on 98.5 where you can hear WPTF and you can hear the Tom Kearney Show five nights a week, Monday through Friday from uh, 9 until 10 with a little bit of live and in real time radio. And our guest tonight is Miss Pam Beck who is uh, associated with PamBeckGardens.com. That gives you a, a source, uh, a website that you can look at to find out all about Pam and what she is up to, and she's talking about the plants and flowers of the the Easter season. 
and uh, I think we were working our way through uh, Passover week. Is that not right, Pam? Right, that's correct. And and as it is, um, we have looked forward from um, Palm Sunday to Monday Thursday, where the Passover meal happened, to Good Friday and the crucifixion. Um, the reason that had to be done, by the way, quickly on on Friday, and it was pushed through, is because the Sabbath was Saturday, and because that was the holy day of rest. Um, everything was was pushed through, and Jesus was buried before Friday evening was over, and um, so that that counts as the first day of three. Then Saturday was the Sabbath, then Sunday morning, and that's Easter for all of us, is the morning that one of the women who helps uh, prepare the body and um, get uh, wrap it in linens and apply myrrh and aloe to it uh, to preserve it, basically, um, for a while. When she went to check on the body, there, the stone was rolled away and there was no one there. And there are several versions of this. One is that there was an angel who spoke to the disciples um, and said, you know, he's not here. The other is that this woman in her anxiety turned and saw someone standing there and assumed it was the gardener. Now, I think this is lovely assumed it was the gardener, and said, do you have any idea where they have taken him? And um, when this person spoke, then she knew that it was, that it was Jesus. And he said, don't touch me, um, you know, but I wanted to let you know and go and tell the disciples that I have, I have um, arisen. So this is, these are the plants, and the only other plant that I can, I can tell you that I forgot to mention was one that I've, I find fascinating, is that when Jesus was, was hanging on the cross, um, someone in an act of perhaps mercy lifted with a hyssop. Now, here's that word hyssop again. We had already talked about it being mentioned as marjoram, but lifted a rod of hyssop with a sponge soaked in a wine with gall, G-A-L-L, in it. And when Jesus realized what it was or tasted it, he refused it. And what that is is gall is an opium poppy derivative. And so someone was offering him something that could have helped alleviate some of the pain or even perhaps helped him fall asleep so that he could have passed more peacefully. And that was that was refused. So in this case, the hyssop that we're talking about was probably a very tall branch of a sorghum-type plant. If you've ever seen sugarcane growing, that's a sorghum-type plant. That's sorghum's what molasses comes from. So some of us in the South have seen that and tasted it too. <laughs> so, um, but I I think that it's amazing to me how many plants we do know are associated with this this week. And then, of course, there's all the ones that we include because they're so beautiful and they're blooming at the same time, and it's spring, and it's just one of the most lovely weeks of the year. And I think you had mentioned that for you and Mrs. Kearney, this is one of your favorite. 
yes. And you know, I'm glad that you went through the business about uh, the resurrection, uh, the body is missing and so on, because when I was very small, and, and, and my world was very small, so things may have been going on that, that I didn't really know about, uh, but I did not remember something that I learned about when I went to live in Winston-Salem. Uh, it may have been popular and when we went away, but it, that is the sunrise service. Mm-hmm. It was not, but it became the Moravians particularly, I think, did a lot to promote it. And I know it used to be broadcast on a radio station in Winston-Salem, and eventually I think it sort of spread throughout the, the state of North Carolina. But it may have been done by churches all along, but I'm not I'm not really sure that was the case. I'll have to investigate that sometime, but I, I think that that's... Uh, something that seems really appropriate. And uh, I can imagine that uh, if there is a sunrise, there would not probably be a sunrise service. John, our producer, said he didn't think there were any last year and, and because of the COVID and that we probably would have the same reason for not having sunrise services. But uh, but the people, I can remember Lake Johnson was a place in Raleigh where some churches had sunrise service in the, uh, the Capitol grounds and... Uh, the Raleigh, Raleigh Rose Garden, as a matter of fact. And oftentimes they're in cemeteries because of, the, again, the sim- symbolism of, of, you know, the, the hope of a resurrection. And um, I think it's really beautiful when a lot of the uh, headstones are facing east toward the rising sun and in hopes and anticipation. And um, the, the symbolism, of course, of so many plants on on cemetery gravestones engraved in them as well. That is, that is another that's another show we should do sometime. <laughs> you know, and, and historically, uh, uh, it's appropriate that the rebirth would take place uh, to be quote born again be at mm-hmm. the time that sort of historically man had thought that that was was birth to begin with because the we sometimes forget that for a long, long time, until about this time that you're speaking about, the the uh, season uh, that pointed up Easter was the beginning of the year on the on the calendar at, at that time. Uh, and uh, the uh, if sometimes if you wondered why the the months uh, like October is the eighth month, but it's actually the tenth month, it's because. Mm-hmm. For, for historically, the months of January and February were at the end of the year rather than at the beginning, and Correct. and and it is a, when the, when the, when you have the the rebirth, it's, a, it's the beginning of a new year, and and as you pointed out, with the eggs, we've got new life, and and so on. So there's a lot of symbolism in this, and a lot of it points back to some of the old old um, faiths too, um, pre. Pre-Christianity uh, belief systems that were uh, incorporated into the, cer- the ceremonies that the church had. It, they found that it was easier to say if you're already having a rite of spring, um, let's let's in, let's weave that in with the, the stories of the church. And a lot of that had to do with the plants too, because people understood plants much more than we do now. We, we suffer as a modern people. We suffer from what's referred to by some scientists as plant blindness. We see green things all day long and have no idea what they are. 
But that wasn't true when your very livelihood and your life might have depended on knowing which plants were used and, for, and how they were used and what their purposes were. If you were out gathering food for your family, you wouldn't want to pick up something poisonous. Or if you needed a medicine, you would go out and gather that flower or that root or that bark and, and make whatever medicine you needed to out of those plants. That was a knowledge that, we, that all people had. It wasn't just the priest or just the wisest women. There was, there was this understanding. And plants weren't always, you know, given pretty names. We didn't, we didn't have taxonomists at that time. We didn't have um, people who worked for plant breeding companies to come up with a great name like Knockout Rose. You know, you wouldn't have that. Instead, you would have understood that, for instance, that this particular rose might have had hips that were full of something that would make you feel stronger and better, and it's because they were chock-a-block full of vitamin C. And people didn't know about vitamins, but they knew that if they ate those rose hips, they would feel stronger and better. Um, and many of these were named for gods and goddesses, just like, People truly thought that that was Apollo on his chariot going across the sky. The, the sun, that, that ball of flame, would have been referred to as, you know, well, Apollo's pretty high right now. It must be about the middle part of the day, you know. Um, many plants were associated with that, too. For instance, daffodils, uh, they were known as Narcissus, and that's because of the, the legend of Narcissus, and so everybody, when they saw these bright, cheerful things in the, in the, the spring, they would look at them and say, well, there's, there's Narcissus's uh, flowers back, or, you know, Crocus's flower was back. That was one of the lovers of Apollo. Um, so many of these, before people could read or understood, they, they knew the symbolism and the meaning of flowers. And I think as we move toward taking another break, uh, I'm just thinking of the of that that uh, part of the cycle of living things was not only plants but also animals because uh, I know the the uh, this is sometimes uh, debatable but uh, the uh, the birth of Christ may have the scientists and historians think uh, taken place at this time of year in the spring. Uh, uh, because that was the time that uh, the shepherds would, in fact, have been out in the fields with their flocks, because that's when the the, the breeding season would would have been taking yeah. place. So, this is like you say, time. there's so yeah. many times that it was well, like the kids who think the food comes from the back of the supermarket. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more to it than than, but they're learning it from Pam Beck tonight. Pam Beck Gardens. She is talking to us about the flowers and plants, etc., the history of the season surrounding the uh, Easter holiday and the Passover and uh, so on. So we're going to pause for a couple of minutes and come back and wind up our program. It's Pam Beck to talk about the flowers and plants of Easter. And I said to my producer, you know, uh, would you suggest to Pam that she might talk about Easter lilies? 
and he came back, Pam, and said that you were on that track. All right. Great minds run on the same track. Is what it they is. do, and I, I'm so glad you mentioned these two lilies because this is one thing that we will probably see in uh, church services that are being televised or um, we'll definitely see them being taken to um, people's homes and to uh, cemeteries. The Easter lily is a symbol of purity and resurrection and hope, and it has been for a long, long time. The One of the original white lilies that we uh, see depicted uh, in southeastern Europe and the Mediterranean is the Madonna lily, the Lilium candidum. And that has uh, big white trumpet-shaped flowers, very fragrant. It uh, blooms about this time of year. And you will see it in ancient art of Greece and Crete. And it is one of the plants that's most frequently depicted in Roman frescoes. I think that that's fascinating. And it grows wild. It's just a wildflower. So the lilies of the valley that is mentioned in the Old Testament of the Bible may have been referring to this lily, this wild white lily. It was a particularly uh, dedicated to Hera, the goddess of marriage and childbirth. It was a symbol of virginity. And so you saw it again depicted with the Annunciation of the archangel coming to the Virgin Mary uh, to to let her know that she's going to have Jesus, you will oftentimes see that same lily. Now, the lilies that we grow and that we have available in the garden centers and all now are Lilium longiflorum, and that's the Latin name or the scientific name for the Easter lily that is what is produced in the U.S. Now, at one time, those were mainly produced in Japan. They had um, the market on that prior to 1941. But then when uh, World War II came along, uh, the bulb growers in northern uh, California and southern Oregon realized that there's a stretch of land that's just perfect for those, and that is now the Easter lily capital of the world. More Easter lilies come out of there than anywhere else. Millions of dollars worth of Easter lilies. Now, where did you where did you say that was? That's in the um, northern part of California. It's uh, from the Smith River area of Northwest Del Norte County, California. Okay. And it it goes all the way up into Curry County, Oregon. Well, I was going to say all the way to Oregon, probably. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Okay. Well, we've got about three more minutes if you've got anything else you want to cover tonight. and uh, uh, Oh, there's so many things. Oh, my goodness, there's so many plants and, uh, and all associated with the, um, with the Bible and with Easter. Um, but I guess probably what a lot of people love this time of year are the bulbs. And we've got to mention the jonquils, the narcissus, uh, a beautiful golden, cheerful color bulb. Um, probably the oldest one that um, is mentioned in the Ovid uh, and in some, again, depictions is the little uh, Narcissus Poeticus, the poet's uh, Narcissus or Daffodil, tiny little white one with a, with a very brightly colored center. Uh, the others are tulips. This is a great time of the year for tulips. And we could 
talked forever about the uh, tulip mania that that uh, made and, and crushed a lot of Dutch fortunes <laughs> many, many years ago. But we don't have the time for all that. But, um, Tom, do you have a favorite a favorite spring flower that you'd like to mention or or to share with everybody? Well, not really. I'm, I've learned almost all I know about flowers from listening to you, as a matter of fact. But I'm, I'm sort of fascinated with the symbolic uh, nature of flowers and what they, what, what they mean. One of my favorite topics to read about is I read mysteries, and there's a, there's a, there's a detective named Nero Wolf who's totally fictional, but he is crazy about orchids. And mm. so I've had this real desire to learn a lot about orchids. And one of my favorite romantic couples are sitting in a swing on a porch, and they, they it's been a long winter, and they've had a tough time, but they see a crocus, and that has become, I guess, the universal symbol of, well, spring is almost here, and that kind of thing. The winter is almost gone, and it peeps its little head out of the ground and, and so on. But uh, I, Mrs. Kearney has a backyard full of plants, and I just sit in the back and look at them sometime, and I'm not really sure sometime what I'm looking at. I need you to be my guide, I guess, or, or get her to help me. But but that, that that I'm glad the flowers are here. Me too. Hello, Tom. You okay? Yeah. I've, I've, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I'd lost you. Yeah, that connection. Well, well, we have we we can wind it up right now, and if you don't mind, I, I'll give your address and your website again because I want people, if they if they want to be in touch with you, to be able to do that and. Uh, they can learn a lot by reading your uh, reading your website, and also I'm all glad, and we'll have to have figure out a way that we can have you come back in the coming months and visit with us sometime during the summer. Maybe we can start talking about North Carolina gardens again, and sense maybe the opportunity for people to go out. But thank you so much for being with us tonight, and uh, I'll talk you. to you a little bit later. Pam Beck is our guest, talking about the plants and flowers of the Easter season on the Tom Kearney Show. <laughs> 